You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Seeking Access Podcast. This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. Excited to be with you today. Sending this podcast out on Friday instead of Monday, as I originally planned. So I hope that you had a great week. Hope you got to check out our latest podcast out with my man, Seth Slayman, the guy from the intro, dropping heat. It's been awesome. We've been putting out some fire content on our blog as well. I want to highly encourage you to go check out our blog, especially the one uh, last week that I wrote about Sit With Me. It was based on the podcast last week about not being judgmental very, very important stuff. One of my favorite blogs I've ever written. So I highly encourage you to go check it out. Thosewhoseek.org. Check that out. Sign up for our weekly newsletter so that you don't miss anything. It only takes like five to seven minutes to read a blog and there's some fire. You know, I don't endorse a funny thing out if I don't think it's hot. So go check those things out. Do it now. Awesome. You go. So today we're talking about seeking excellence through failure, seeking excellence through failure. And I have so much I want to say, so much I want to share on this. And one thing that really helps me is I've I've talked a lot about being intentional, obviously, but not just being intentional, but kind of uh, breaking things down so that I can understand them on a deeper level. So we're going to talk about failure in a lot of different ways. I'm going to break down some different aspects of it. I'm going to talk through four different types of failure today. Not saying that this is the exclusive list of types of failure. Failure can be very, very nuanced. It can be a combination of the different types. We're going to talk through the different types of failure. We're going to talk about uh, different levels of failure, if you will, categories of failure. And we're also going to talk about, um, you know, the combination of you can either have self-inflicted failure, failure that was caused by your own actions, your own um, words, whatever it might be. And there's there's times where it's your environment, it's others imposed, and you're you're honestly a victim to, to the failure that's been caused, or at least there's a lot of stuff that was heavily against you. You you know things weren't in your favor. So we're going to talk about all of that, but before I would even want to get into that, I want to talk to you about preparation for failure because I think that failure, like a lot of things in life, you know, it's a weight that you have to lift. It's part of the cross that we have to carry as human beings because you're never going to fully escape it. You're always going to fail at something or another, right? Like we're never going to be perfect. We strive for perfection because that's what God calls us to. That's what Jesus calls us to. St. Paul in scriptures calls us to that. But we know we're never going to do it. We're never going to be, we're never going to be perfect, but we still strive to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. In excellence, we strive for excellence. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. So we're constantly striving for excellence in these different areas of our lives as we strive to be excellent in all seven pillars. 
naturally we're going to be uh, struggling or some are lacking in certain other pillars as we are building up a certain pillar, right? So what does that mean? So there might be phases of my life where I really need to focus right now. I'm really focusing on developing, uh, you know, redeveloping the foundation of my spiritual life. The foundation has been there. It's been set, but I'm trying to really grind and get back into it and, and really just like immensely make Jesus a part of my life again, because it's been missing in my life. I feel like for the last five years in a powerful, like excellent way. Right. So now like, Prayer is my priority over all of the things. So I'm praying in the morning. I'm praying in the evenings. I'm praying at nighttime. I'm going to the chapel multiple times a day. Now, that's not going to be the same for the rest of my life, probably, right? There's going to be times where you get married and you have a kid and, and your family, your relational, your emotional side of your life, that pillar takes on more. Your professional side of your life might take away from your social side of your life and your volunteering and things like that at different points. And then all just, you can't do all of them at the same time, right? So you have, you only have so much time in the day. There's only so much water in your cup. So you're trying to water these different plants that are the pillars of your life. You're never going to be able to equally distribute, make sure everything's thriving at all times. It just doesn't work. And that's why a lot of people don't try. That's why a lot of people don't strive for excellence. That's why people don't strive for perfection, for greatness in their lives, because you're going to fail. And so one of my key things here is that it's better to have tried and failed than to have never tried at all. And so your mindset as you approach life is going to dictate in a big way how you respond to your failures in your life. And so that's what's so important about how do we lay the foundation for our mindset to be right so that when we approach things that we know we might fail at, when we do fail, without expecting to fail, how can we still have the expectation management to be open to setbacks, to be open to failure? It's a tough thing to balance. It's a very tough thing to balance because I definitely don't encourage you being pessimistic. I am a cocky individual, as I say oftentimes, and if you know me, you know that to be true. And so I often think I'm going to succeed, and sometimes I don't. And I know that that's going to happen as well. And it's a weird thing to balance both of those, to be confident in your ability to win, but be prepared to lose, right? Be prepared to fall. Um, And there's a lot that has to take place in your heart especially in your spiritual life, to give it over to God, to stop taking so much personal responsibility for everything, to take personal ownership and responsibility. You know, the classic saying of of act and live like everything depends on you, but pray like everything depends on God. When you can really get to the point where you're doing both of those things and you say, God, this is yours. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to leave it all out in the field today. I'm going to leave it all out of my job, all out for my family. I'm laying it all out there. But if it doesn't work out like this, I mean, it's your thing. This is your project. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if you can do that, that will be powerful for the way that you respond to failure. Cause it's like, all right, Lord, I guess this isn't what you wanted for me. I guess this isn't what you wanted me to do. I might've been mistaken. I might've gotten, you know, discerning your will wrong. And that happens. But let's talk about just the importance of being willing to go forward in spite of the fact that failure is going to occur in your life. In spite of the fact that it is something that we will all face. One of my favorite quotes about this, you've heard this probably many times, maybe you haven't heard it before, but Theodore Roosevelt, old Teddy Roosevelt, former U.S. president, uh, the critic, the quote about the critic, the man in the arena. Um, One of my favorite quotes, the man in the arena, you want to be the man or the woman in the arena. And I'm going to end this podcast with some statistics on why you should strive to be that, why you want to strive to be the man or the woman in the arena. And the need in the world for us to stay in the fight, for us to stay getting after it, for us to get back up whenever we fall. And that's one of the things that we preach here, that one of our tenets, you know, one of our principles, like core principles at Seeking Excellence is we want you to be a disciple of Jesus. We want you to be an ambassador of Christ. We want you to be a soldier of Christ. And soldiers don't just get to give up because they fail, because they experience a setback. And you know that, and we all know that. But for some reason, we are, we're doing that a lot, right? And so one of my favorite things that I experienced or one of my favorite things going through the Army was 
where there's a sign when you enter into ranger school that says not for the weak or faint-hearted u.s army ranger school not for the weak or faint-hearted and the the challenge that we have as catholics as a church as christians is that we know that ultimately being a christian is not for the weak or the faint-hearted but we can't put that on our entrance sign because we do welcome the weak and the faint-hearted to come and join us but this idea as come as you are not stay as you are right so we have a come as you are sign but on the back side like in the church there's the crucifix when you see the crucifix that to me is the ranger school sign of this is not for the weak or faint-hearted when jesus tells you pick up your cross and follow after me and then you see jesus on the crucifix what about that screams to you this is for the weak and faint-hearted this is for the cowardly this is for no, we are not called to be that. Jesus, you know, St. Paul tells us God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of strength, uh, self-control and, and love, you know, like a strength, power and, and self-control. Like that's big. Like he's called us to be a soldier of Christ. Like this is not for the weak or faint hearted. And so you have to know that. And that's one of the key things that I have here for seeking excellence is that this is not for the weak or faint hearted. Like I am not here. Like there are plenty of resources out there for those who just want to dabble in the faith for people who just want to be lukewarm or might be at that stage in their journey. But some of us need a kick in the pants. And I think that people need a kick in the ass, not just when they're deep in their faith, like, but sometimes at the beginning, sometimes people need to be shaken up. They need to experience something serious and hard and people want to hear something challenging. People need to be challenged to be better. I need to be challenged to be better. I need to be challenged by my friends, by my spiritual directors, by the people on my board of directors at Seeking Excellence, by my bosses at work, by the people I, you know, I surround myself with and by outside sources, by books, by podcasts, by things like that. So that's what I'm here for. And so I never want to confuse that for anybody. I'm not here to just like coddle and be nice. There's times for that. Uh, and I, you know, I think there's times for compassion. And I think that, like I said, we don't need to not for weaker faint hearted sign at the entrance like Ranger School does. But at some point you have to realize that like Jesus on the crucifix is what he's calling you to. And so if you were going to live and you're going to survive in the world in this Christian life, you need to you need to, not to be nice to, you need to offer your heart over to Jesus. Say, hey, I need you to clean this up. I need you to like clean out, send the Holy Spirit down, clean out my soul, re like figure, reconfigure me, transform me to be the man or the woman who can withstand the test, who can withstand the trials. And when I don't, when I don't withstand the trials, when I do fall into temptation, Lord, I need you to reach down and pick me back up. Give me the courage and the strength to trust in you to get back up every time I fall, to trust in your mercy, to trust in your hope, to trust in your love. We need that. So boom, back to the man in the arena. This is a quote. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. How freaking fire is that quote? I mean, think about it. It's 
you know, there is no effort without shortcoming. That's what I want you to understand. There is no effort without shortcoming. Your only options are to do nothing and not fail, which is a failure, or to try and to fail. And the interesting thing is that the more that you try, the more effort that you put in, the more reps that you give it, the more often you're going to fail. You think about the strikeout leaders in, uh, you know, MLB history or the people who have missed the most shots in the NBA. It's the people who get the most playing time. It's the people who have taken the most shots. That's the only way to miss the most shots. The only way to have the most strikeouts is to have a high number of at-bats. Sure, I mean, and if they sucked, if they were just bad, they wouldn't have had that many at-bats in the first place, so they wouldn't have got the playing time. So the only way to pursue greatness is to risk an immense amount of failure. And so I want to ask you this question today. What are you striving at that you're failing at? Because I know that there's a lot of people in the world, I hear excuses all the time of people not having enough time, people not having enough energy, people doing this or that, that they don't have the time to actually pursue their purpose. They don't have the time to do things that make them uncomfortable, to push them to greatness. So what are you trying at? What are you striving to do that you're failing, that you're overcoming, that you're, you're running, you're falling, you're getting back up and you're, you're, keeping, you're, you're keeping at it, you're, you're staying in the fight? What is it that you're doing that's pushing you to do that? Because you have to prepare yourself ahead of time Failure is not something that you're just going to come across and you're going to be good and you're going to be set to go. And you're going to just get over it and keep and stay, you know, like endurance, perseverance is developed. Grit is developed. And that's why we talk about these seven pillars. Because that, you know, Leanne talks about this a lot. I'm a huge believer in this. The military is a huge believer in this. When you train yourself physically, when you push yourself towards failure, Leanne has a great blog coming out about this as well. That's where you train to fail. That's a great place. That's a great training ground for failure is the gym because you, you know, and that's why we love CrossFit. And Father Mike Schmitz talks about this as well. The reason why CrossFit is so beautiful is because you're going to fail. You're going to come in today and you're going to hit muscle failure or you're going to have to try something, a weight or a movement or something that you're not going to be able to do. Not saying you're going to risk injury, but you're going to risk failure. And failure can be hard and it's humbling and it hurts and it's painful and it's embarrassing sometimes. But who cares? Are you here? Are you living your life to not be embarrassed? Like, is that is that why you get out of bed in the morning? Is that what pumps you up? Is that what gets you excited and motivated and inspired? Is to say, oh man, I can't wait to go out and try to do anything that doesn't get me embarrassed today. What? But that's how people live their lives. So people don't say that, but this is why we need to voice our philosophies. This is why you need to ask each other, you need to ask your friends, you need to ask your boyfriend or girlfriend, your spouse, your children. What do you think about this? What is your approach to life? What is your approach to sports? What is your approach to your work? What is your approach to your finances? What is your approach to your spiritual life? What do your spiritual practices look like? Why do you do things the way that you do them? Because when you start to verbalize, when you start to explain those things, that's when your, your gaps, that's when your weaknesses, that's when your sometimes just disgusting, pathetic philosophies really shine forth. That's when you get to see it. That's when you get to do it. Your, your, your AAR, you know, we say in the military, the after action review, that's, you know, not a military term. It's not an exclusive military thing. Examination of conscious is the exact same thing. It's just that the military and the army, we did a, an AAR an after action review after every mission. And I'm called to do that as a Catholic after every day to do an examination of conscience. How often do you do your examination of conscience? When was the last time you went to confession? We're going to talk about confession later, but what is your examination of conscience? How are you evaluating your failures? Are you just running and hiding from your failures, trying to act like they don't exist, like they don't happen, like your weaknesses aren't affecting you? Or are you taking time to really evaluate, am I a man or woman in the arena? Because if you're not a man or woman in the arena, I can tell you that there's plenty of people in the arena who could use your help. The arena is not overflowing with, with strong, valiant, holy warriors right now. And you can see that out in the world. 
And like I said, I'm going to talk about some of those stats and things like that at the end, but let's get into some of this stuff, right? So as you can tell, this is going to be a passionate topic. This is going to be a passionate topic. I feel very, very passionate about failure. I feel very, very passionate about people who avoid it and are cowardly in the face of it. And, and know that, as I always say, I always try to give these disclaimers. I'm not saying this as somebody who's perfect about this. Like, I don't shy away from failure and attempting things that make me uncomfortable. That's not it. I just, I just do try. And I want you to call me out. If you know me personally, I want you to call me out when you see me not doing that. And I've had great friends, great spiritual directors, great priests, great women I've dated in my life who have called me out and called me higher at different points. Um, and I'm always grateful for that. Even if I don't feel grateful in the moment, I always am grateful. And I strive to thank those people when they do it. And I need those people now more than ever. So the four different types of failure we're going to talk about, professional, relational, personal, and spiritual. In my humble opinion, and as I often say, my not so humble opinion, I view those as the descending order of importance for those. So professional being the least important, relational being second, you know, third most important, personal being second most important, and spiritual being the most important. So let's talk about some of these. I'm going to talk about them in that order. Professionalism. So what does that mean? So I've been I've been laid off before. I've I've failed. My biggest failure in my professional life was, uh, or the one that I felt the most definitely was was Ranger School. So if you don't know this story, this is a, a good story of failure. Um, I knew when I was a junior in college in 2014 that I wanted to be an infantry officer. And the main reason I wanted to be an infantry officer was because I wanted to go to Ranger School. I wanted to go to U.S. Army Ranger School. Um, and, and the main reason was I just I admired uh, everybody that I saw with the Ranger tab. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I thought they were awesome. I had instant respect for them. And I wanted to be that. I also saw how underrepresented uh, African-Americans were, how underrepresented Black people were in um ranger school in the infantry in these kind of special operations schools and things like that. So I wanted to be that. I wanted to be the example and be a, a beacon of hope and example to all the other, you know, black enlisted black officers that we could do this as well. Uh, and I just, I took personal responsibility for that and it meant a lot to me. And so I got to go to ranger school uh, or I went to infantry training. I finished that up at the end of IBOLIC, which is your infantry basic officer leader course. I had to do, uh, an RPFT, a Ranger Physical Fitness test, and we had Ranger instructors coming greatest for that test. I had at that point in my life max push-ups, done the maximum number of push-ups for the maximum score, which is between 71 and 75 at that at that age I was at um, since my sophomore year of high school, so since 2012. So this is now uh, the end of 2015. For the last three and a half years or so, I had max push-ups on every PT test I had done. And so we'd done PT tests, I mean, anywhere from once a month to um, every two or three months. But I mean, I had taken a lot of them, right? This is not this is not a rare thing that I did. I'd taken a lot of them. I maxed pushups every single one. For whatever reason, this ranger instructor um, only counted. I only needed 49 instead of the usual. The week before, I think I did 77 on a PT test. The way that he graded my form was was pretty uh pretty specific. And so I only I only got 41 out of the needed 49. So I failed the push-ups for that RPFT. Because of that, I had to go to RTAC, Ranger Training and Assessment course, which is a pre-Ranger course, unlike my peers. So this meant that I didn't get to go to Ranger School with all my friends, with Bob, who you know I love and adore, um, and uh, many of my other friends, all, all the scat boys, if you know about the scat too, my scat tat, uh, my first tattoo ever, all those boys went to Ranger School without me on January 3rd, 2016, and I did not get to go. I had to go to pre-Ranger on January 15th. 
Go to pre-range, I fail push-ups first day. A week later, still there, suffering, going through all the cold, walking through the, you know, the rain and um, diving in the water, all that stuff, all the suffering that you go through in, in eight days of our attack, which was intent. Uh, fail push-ups again. So this time I get sent home. Now it's looking like I'm going to have the PCS, permanent change of station. It looks like I'm going to have to move to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, go to my unit as an infantry officer with no ranger tab, which basically makes me a scumbag in the infantry world, especially in the 82nd. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, of all the things that I prepared for, I definitely had my weaknesses as an army officer. I will tell you about those at another time, but it was not something that I was like outstanding at. I felt like I was good above average for sure. But I, uh, you know, when it came to infantry officer, I, I definitely had my weak points, but push-ups was not one of them. So this is one of those different things where I talked about, you know, where we have self-imposed or other imposed uh, failures, but a lot of times it doesn't benefit us to take the other, the others inflicted when it's in our environment or something that's unfair. There's not a lot of benefit to blaming other people for your failures. I'll say that again. There is not a lot of benefit to blaming other people, circumstances, outside forces for your failure. It does not help you. And so that's contrary to popular belief in a lot of ways in our world right now. Um, you see people, you, you hear uh, a lot of victim, you know, victimhood is just like the highest virtue in, in, in society today. It does not help you to blame outside forces, external circumstances on your failures. You might as well take ownership of it and think, what can I do better next time? Learn the rules of the game. And if it's a game you still want to play, make your adjustments, make your changes, re-engage, re-attack. And so I had to, you know, one of the things that I really learned through that failure was the fact that I felt better about myself. I still had my self image intact because of the fact that one, I accepted the fact that this sucks and this is my reality. There's nothing I can do about it now. Two, I can figure out how I can change and get better and grow uh, to fix it. And I had hope that I could do that in the future. But third and most importantly, I was formed and saw myself as a child of God. I knew that I was a son of God, beloved son of God, with whom God was pleased, despite the fact that I failed push-ups at Artac. My my worth, my uh, self-image was not just fully wrapped up in being a soldier and in being an infantry officer and in being a ranger school graduate. That was not it. And so luckily when I dealt with that failure, I could still go back and lean back on my faith and say, God, do you still love me? And that's an obvious yes. And I can see that yes when I look at the crucifix. I know that God loves me. I see that when I look at the Eucharist, right? So when you know that, when you do that work ahead of time, this is what I'm talking about It's so important to know that, okay, my faith forms my image, it forms my worth. So I, I can go forth and risk failure knowing that I'm still loved even if I fail. That also can be multiplied or that can be accelerated if you have people in your life who love you unconditionally as well. So my mom helped me and assisted with that a lot as well because I knew like win or lose, mom's gonna love me at the end of the day. And so, you know, my mom and my dad, and so that's helpful as well. But if you don't have that, I'm telling you that God the Father will be that for you. And you should seek out friends and people in your life who will love you unconditionally because they do exist. Don't become hopeless in that. Those people are out there. And I also had this love for the man of the arena quote. There's plenty of people who wanted to go to ranger school, had that desire, but were afraid to fail. And I could look at myself in the mirror and say, you know what? I don't know why I failed. I don't fully understand why at that point in my life, uh, why my push-ups were not counting when I could easily do 75 push-ups in two minutes but I couldn't get 49 of them to count with the two graders I had had in these three different PT tests because one of them graded me twice. I don't know why that's happening, but at least I tried. 
you know, and that can't be your philosophy of life. It can't just always be like, oh, at least I gave it a half-ass effort and now I can feel good about myself. No, like at least I tried valiantly. Did I give it my all? Did I try my best? I didn't go out there and give 50% of the push-ups. I gave it all that I had. I went to absolute muscle failure and it did not count. It did not work. Whatever was the issue, which I figured out, you know, over time, but it did not work out. And it was just a lesson. There was something that God needed me to learn in that moment. And I'm not going to close myself off to learning the wisdom and the lesson that God has for me through failure by trying to get all upset about it and living in the past and letting my self-image be destroyed. That's the devil's work. And, he, and God does not want that for you. And so I think it's really important to recognize that. Two weeks later, I went back, same grader. This is the third straight RPFT with the same Ranger instructor. And I did 15 more push-ups. You know what I did? I raised my butt two inches. I raised my butt two inches. So instead of doing it where I felt like and had been told my entire life that my back was straight, they kept telling me your back's not straight, your back's not straight. And that's part of the, the, the criteria for range school pushups or for pushups in general in the army. But I just raised my butt a couple inches, made pushups a little bit harder, um, but, and had to like focus on my core and keeping my, you know, my core straight as I did that. And uh, I did 15 more pushups with very little training in between just two weeks later doing the right thing and keeping a positive attitude. I got to go back to our attack and went through ranger school successfully, as you know, with, with some failure stuff mixed into there as well. But the point of this, and I hope that you, you saw these key lessons as I walked you through that journey is you need to take ownership of the failure. As I said before, and I'll say it again, it does not benefit you to blame a hundred percent or even a majority even if you want to, you can, I'll give you up to 49%. You can blame 49% of a failure on external circumstances, on other people, whatever. But you should take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. As you hear my man Seth say in the intro, take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. And this means I take ownership for the failures. I say, you know what, this is my fault. I should have found a ranger instructor. I should have done the research. I should have figured out what it was the first time I failed pushups that kept me from passing and, and made the adjustment. I should have followed up with the RI that day, but instead that day I just got pissed off and went and, and went home mad. But if I had followed up with the instructor that day and asked, hey, can you please help me with this? Can you show me what I was doing wrong? Maybe I wouldn't have failed the second time. So take ownership for it because you're the one that, that did it. It's your life. Evaluate the situation. Look back and say, okay, what can I do differently? Who do I need to ask for help? That's a big thing in professional goals and professional failures, I think, professional setbacks is we're oftentimes too afraid or too ashamed to ask for help. And this is true in many areas of our lives. But you need to ask people for help, especially when you need it. And then you need to create a game plan. Create a game plan that will change the outcomes of the future as best you can. All right, moving on to relational failures. So relational failures, this is just the term that I came up with, uh, just to talk about failures in your relationships, right? Your relationships with other people. And this happens all the time. You know, I, um, I'm trying to think of something that happened recently. You know, recently I was supposed to call my mom multiple days in a row, failed to do so. Uh, getting arguments with a girlfriend or a friend of yours, uh, failing to get people things on, on time, you know, friends of yours on time, things that they ask you for, favors they ask you for. I have failed in this immensely recently as I've been transitioning, starting a new job, moving across the country. It's been difficult, right? And so I'm going to fail. I'm going to let people down. And you have to know that, you know, and I think I I've talked before, um, I think last week's episode, I talked about how being a people pleaser is, is toxic when you're, when you, when you prioritize pe people pleasing, not people serving, people pleasing, not people serving, when you prioritize that, especially over God pleasing and being pleasing to the Lord, 
it's toxic, man. It tears you down. It'll break you down. And it'll really, really wreck your life in a powerful way. And so you have to understand. And one thing that I had to come to understand is that people, and I'm going to do a whole episode on this someday. People will never be satisfied by what you do for them or what you give them. Not fully. It's very hard to find somebody who's going to be satisfied with you right? People are always going to have a bone to pick. People are always going to have issues, challenges, whatever. Some people are not going to like the way you said something on Facebook, the way you tweeted something, the way that you looked at them, the way that you said something. And you have to take extreme ownership for that as well. And what does that look like? You take ownership for it and you say, you know, you're willing to listen. So being willing to listen to the way that you hurt somebody, the way that you bothered them, the way that you may have offended them, listening to that, hearing it out, apologizing either for the act that was wrong or for the way that you made them feel and saying that that was not your intention to hurt them, to offend them, to harm them, unless it was, and then apologizing for that being your intention, right? Those are your two options, I think. You either apologize for actually intending to hurt them or, or for being rude or whatever, or you apologize for the way they made them feel and just empathize with them. But you have to understand that you're not always wrong, right? Some things you do piss people off and you're not wrong. And you have to be bold in that. And you have to understand that's why you should pray. That's why you should form your conscience. That's why you should read from the saints. That's why you should read good personal growth and personal development books so that you can form your conscience in your mind to understand right from wrong in a deep way. Because, you know, I wrote the series of Only Life Was Black and White Like Me. And since, and that was about racism and faith. And now I realize that like none of life is black and white. You know, like I could write a book, an encyclopedia about all the different circumstances in life that are not black and white in regards to morality or, you know, our faith or whatever, like things are nuanced, things are difficult, life is complicated. And so you have to understand that you're not always wrong. And this is something that I think has been, you know, very clear in my life recently, um, between political discussions I've had, arguments with friends and dating, whatever, is that the person who's most upset isn't always right. The person who is most upset, just because somebody's crying, or they're upset, or you've made them sad, doesn't mean you did something wrong. Sometimes people have expectation management issues. Sometimes people are expecting more out of you than you're able to give them. Sometimes people are just being selfish and bratty. Sometimes people get upset with you for things that are not your fault. So you have to evaluate that when we look at relational failure. Take ownership of the way that you make people feel because that's real. People's feelings and experiences are real. And we should apologize. We should empathize. We should listen to them. And we should love them. That doesn't mean you need to change something. You should apologize for the action when you've actually done something wrong. For example, I remember uh, going home, you know, at different points in my life and uh, especially in college, I kind of learned this in college and I, I, I really want to expand on this and make this a whole thing someday. But I remember going home in college and just being like, you know, seeing certain family members and, and seeing them multiple times in a week, right? And in college, I was really grinding and I'm kind of getting back to that now, which I love. But I was getting after, I was working out multiple times a day, going to the chapel multiple times a day, praying a lot, going to mass a lot, uh, evangelizing a ton, getting good grades. Like I was just, I mean, I was just crushing it in a lot of ways. A lot of ways I wasn't, I had a lot of failures throughout college as well, but there was, it, was, it was a grind, you know, I was getting after, I was really happy with my life, really filled and passionate and purposeful, it was awesome. And I would go home and you have these breaks, right? You go home and you put all that aside, right? So like prayer times, uh, uh, an afterthought, working out, an afterthought, um, reading and afterthought, like all the stuff that I love doing, it makes me personal because I don't get to spend time with these people all the time, right? So I got to spend time with people. I have to give of myself. I want to see my grandparents, my mom, my dad, my siblings, my nieces and nephews, right? All my friends from high school. And what I learned was there was people, family members, friends, whatever, who I'd see multiple times in a week, 
even though I had, you know, sacrificing my prayer time, oh, I'm going to go to mass tomorrow morning at nine. Somebody says, oh, you want to go get breakfast? I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. I don't get to see this person, right? So I'm going to go get breakfast with them. Oh, I'm going to go to the gym this afternoon. Oh, you want to go get lunch? You want to hang out? You want to come over to my house? Whatever. Oh, I haven't gotten to see you. You know, you get guilt trip. I'm like, okay. So I go over there. I realize at the end of the week, I'm very distant from God. I'm not physically fit. I'm very disappointed with myself. The craziest part about that was how many people around me would still be disappointed with the amount of time that I gave to them. So the amount of time that I sent with people, people were still not satisfied. And what I learned, so then I said, no, it was, I don't even want to act like I learned it the first time. So then I said, okay, next time I grind even harder, right? I'm sleeping less. I'm waking up early. I'm spending time with all these people, not doing any of the things that are important to me, not doing any of the things that I'm, you know, should be doing as a, as a faithful Catholic man, as an ROTC cadet, as an athlete, whatever, not doing any of those things. I, I grind even harder. I sacrifice more. I spend more time with people. No satisfaction. So you know what you learn? People aren't going to be satisfied. You're not going to satisfy people all the time. It's impossible. So why try? Why try? Well, we have to try because we have to love and we have to serve other people. But that this is why this is less important to me than the personal one. Because your personal one isn't about being selfish. Your personal letdowns, your personal failures are about you taking responsibility, ownership, and, and good care of yourself, being a good steward of your mind, body, and soul, so that when I spend time with people, it's valuable. It's impactful. It's powerful. I can be present because I'm taking care of my business. I'm taking care of my work. I'm taking care of my responsibilities so I can be joyful and peaceful and present and patient and all this stuff. Because the truth was when I was going home and I'm just grinding, I'm ignoring all of the things that are important, all of my daily routines, all of my prayer, my fitness, all of this stuff. I'm impatient. I'm rude. I get angry. I'm not joyful. I'm giving people a, a third rate version of myself because I'm not taking care of myself. And I'd rather you be able to spend an hour with a great version of me than six hours with a, a version of me that sucks. And so why am I not taking care of myself? So we have to apologize. We have to empathize with people. But you, you have to have a distance, a distinction between I have done something wrong here and I have not. And this person's upset. When somebody's upset, you can't automatically assume just because somebody's crying to you, you can't automatically assume that they're right. And that's hard to do as a loving, caring, empathetic, compassionate human being. That is hard to do. But I'm encouraging you to pray about it, to develop that within yourself, to see that and know that for friends and people as well. Just because somebody's crying upset doesn't mean that they're right. That's important to note. Create a game plan after you ask them for forgiveness. And this is something we don't do enough. Ask people for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I apologize for doing that. Will you please forgive me and allow them to say yes and to forgive you for whatever you did wrong. Then create a game plan to try to avoid it in the future. All right, so personal. So I just, this was actually inspired by personal failure. This entire podcast was inspired, brought to you by personal failure. Brought to you by personal failure. That's my advertisement. That's my sponsor this week is personal failure. So what did this all come from? Last Sunday, not this past Sunday, the Sunday before, I, I spent literally about an hour planning my entire week. I'm talking like hour by hour, right? Like I'm planning out, I'm working out this time, I'm praying this time, I'm reading this time, I'm doing all this stuff, right? This one, I'm checking all my emails, this one, I'm getting all this. End of the week, I look back, I'm like, okay, you know this about me, my big three for Nathan Crankfield, I feel like Nathan Crankfield and the ball out, my big three things, this is like my triple double that I go for every week, is prayer, exercise, and reading. When I pray, exercise, and read, I'm like, 
almost invincible to the world, right? Like I, I am joyful, I'm patient, I'm, I'm much kinder, I'm much nicer to people, not undefeated, I'm not, you know, infallible, I'm not perfect, whatever, but I'm much better, right? That's like when I'm operating at my best, when I'm growing in those three areas. Um, and there's more to it, but those are like my three core things, right? And so I set my goals to do that. So at the end of the week, I look back, and I'm like, all right, how'd I do in all these three areas? And it was trash. It was trash. I'd worked out like four times, which was great. Prayer life was whack. I have a chapel literally in the building I live in. My prayer life was trash. Um, just completely, almost utterly failed in that. I hadn't read. I, I literally hadn't read all week. Right? Like my prayer was decent, to be honest. Like I'm being kind of harsh on myself, but I, I literally had not opened a book the entire week. And so I had to reevaluate and be like, okay, you know, that super sucked. And I had to feel the pain of the failure, embrace it, take ownership of it, and allow that pain to inspire you to action. If you are, this is the difference, I think, between shame and guilt. Shame keeps you in bondage. Shame keeps you idle. Shame keeps you from moving and from trying again. But remember what my man said, President Roosevelt, there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? The guy who strives to do the deeds. That's how you know the great enthusiasm. That's how you know the fullness of life and you get to experience that. And you don't want to be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. It's so important. And so I had to say, okay, I need to fix this. I need to get back up. I need to try again. I need to try again. So how can I readjust? This week, I've been crushing those three things. Now, those three things have been crushed. Last week, I was much more on top of videos, podcasts, emails, and things like that. This week, I'm crushing my reading, my prayer, my working out. But I'm very behind on my emails. I'm behind on some of my work. So now I'm like, okay, now I got to reevaluate. How can I do it all? What needs to give or what needs, what are my, what's my routine? How can I best fit all this stuff in? But remember what I told you at the beginning, when you're pouring into these seven plants, you only have one, one jug of water a day, 24 hours in a day. There's only so much of you to give to the world. How can I best pour so I can water these plants based on their needs at this point in my life, Right. And so I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know what? This week, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being behind on emails. People are frustrated with me. People are mad about it. That's okay. Remember what I said about the relational? It doesn't mean that I'm wrong. It just means that people are mad. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong. It just means that people are mad. It might be that I'm wrong, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It's not by default that I'm wrong and I'm doing the wrong thing. So I say, okay, now I need to reevaluate. I need to you know, set those goals again. Try again. Get back up every time you fall. Create a game plan. And know that it's going to be trial and error. You are not going to find your game, like your The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Gary V, Eric Thomas, like these baller dudes, crazy successful. Their productivity is outstanding. They're getting after it in life. You're not going to, and saying to this as well, right? Mother Teresa, you're not going to find that baller five-star routine for you on the first week you try it. You have to be willing to fail. And every time you transition, you're starting completely over again. Because your life, your things, your, your commute, all this stuff is so different, right? Your demands on your life, every big transition in life. This isn't just starting a new job or moving across the country. It's when you get married. It's when you start a new relationship, whatever. You're starting new routines. And you're going to constantly have to try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. And that's what a life of greatness looks like. And so who cares? I look back and you guys say, man, that sucks. So I let the guilt of it force me to say, okay, now I got to plan this week. How do I want to do it differently? Last week, I said, I'm waking up in the morning. I'm going to uh, read before I go work out. Then I'm going to come back and pray. I don't really like working out in the morning, contrary to popular belief. I don't like working out in the morning. I like working out in the afternoon. What I So I was getting up. I wasn't reading before I would go to the gym because I was just like dreading going to the gym. And then I'd come back and I didn't feel like praying. And I was like taking time to recover and all this stuff. 
So this week, instead, I woke up and I read and I prayed and then I read and then prayed. Right. So short little opening prayer, reading for like a good 45 minutes, sometimes an hour, and then going down to the chapel and praying. Crush it. Work out in the afternoon. Get some productivity in there in the, in the middle. Uh, you know, and that productivity time is what needs to be reevaluated, but I've got a good routine with my main three. And those, this is the, the big rocks and the little rocks thing, right? What are my most important things? What are your priorities? If you are not setting your priorities, you don't even know how much you're failing. And so that's one of the things that you have to understand to identify one of the key differences or distinctions I wanted to make in failure is that, you know, we, in our faith, we often get criticized for having venial sins and mortal sins, Right. We said there's a difference in the levels of failure, right? The levels of which we offend God. In our lives, we have to have the same things. We have minor setbacks and we have major setbacks. When you think about one of my favorite movies, um, Land of the Lost, it's actually not one of my favorite movies. I don't know why I just lied to you, but I think it's funny. Will Ferrell movie, Land of the Lost. They like time travel basically, right? And, and Will Ferrell is like known throughout the movie for calling everything a minor setback. And so they're like time traveling and they like lose the time travel machine, knowing they only have like 24 hours to live in this like, galaxy they're in or whatever right and they're like yo we lost the freaking thing and he's like oh minor setback and it's like dude that's pretty major right that's that's a substantial problem that we're currently facing and so i think that's always really funny but in our lives we have to be able to distinguish between what's a minor setback and a major setback okay you know i missed i missed playing uh sports on sunday with my my residents probably a minor setback okay i missed my prayer four out of seven days last week that's a major setback. That's something that we need to address. We need to refigure out. Minor setback. I miss playing sports with the guys on Sunday afternoon. I need to be more intentional about that. Maybe set a reminder a little bit earlier on my phone of when I'm supposed to be somewhere and what I'm supposed to do, right? doesn't mean you ignore it, but you reevaluate. It doesn't need to readjust and, and take time of your entire life to, you know, take priority over that. But a major setback, I'm missing my prayer time. I need to sit down and really evaluate, okay, what am I doing wrong and how can I actually make this fit? And that's the big rocks and the little rocks. You know, the, the analogy of like, if you have a, a, pound of, a pound of pebbles and you have four big rocks and you're trying to put them all into the same box or the same container, same jug, you have to put the big rocks in first and then you can fill in the rest of the gaps with the pebbles. But if you pour the, all the stones and the pebbles in and then try to put your big rocks in, none of it will fit, right? So put the big rocks in. What are your priorities? Put your priorities on your calendar first and make sure you're making those happen. And then when you fail to make those happen, don't beat yourself up. Don't dive into shame get back up, get pissed off and figure out, all right, how can I make this happen? How can I prioritize this in my life so I can be the man and woman I was created to be? Lastly, wrapping up here, talk about spiritual setbacks. Spiritual setbacks are going to happen. You're going to sin. You are a human being and you're flawed. And sometimes you suck and you make bad decisions. And I do the exact same thing. I'm very, very passionate about the sacrament of confession. I love confession. I've gone to confession when I've sweat my soul out because I'm so embarrassed and uncomfortable and like disgraced. And I remember standing in line and feeling like physically sick. So I'm like, man, like I have to see the priest that I love. And I always force myself to go face to face, almost always, because I'm like, you're going to do this. Like you're going to face God. You're going to, you know, not that facing the priest is facing God himself, but he is in persona Christi, right? Like he is representing God. And there's a good discomfort that comes from that. I think people like people often try to lie to themselves or talk to themselves about, oh, I can just like go to confession on my own on my own time or whatever. And it's like, okay, maybe, you know, or not go to confession on my own, but like I can confess my sins straight to God. And it's like, all right, you know, like you can convince yourself of that, but you're just, you're taking yourself out of the, the value and the growth that takes place when you have to tell it to another human being. It, like, you can pretty clearly, if you're being honest with yourself, see the practical aspects that are valuable of that, 
you know, of having to confess your sins to another person, let alone the fact that the church and like Jesus tells us that that's a good thing to do, that that ought to happen, right? But examine, examination of conscience, examine the fact, not just examine your conscience, but also like when you're talking about ma major and minor setbacks, right? Venial mortal sins. When you're talking about mortal sins, like think about what's actually leading me to that. What can I put in place to, to make a difference in that? Because if you're not changing something about your life when you're confessing a mortal sin, if you're following the mortal sin habitually and you're not actively trying to put something in place, whether it's accountability, changing your environment, deleting social media apps, whatever it might be to actually make a difference so that you don't fall back into that. You, you, I mean, like your contrition, your, your, the amount that you're actually sorry for your sin is in question. How, like if you're not actually trying to make a difference, it's just like if you're in a relationship with a person and I keep lying to you or I keep offending you in some way and that's hurting you and I don't do anything to change it. Am I actually sorry? Like, do you believe me when I say that I'm sorry? Why would God, why would God? So if you, you had to try to actually change something about your life when you can, when you confess your sins, like you truly say, you know, like, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to try to not do this again. And that's, you can't say that sarcastically. You can't just say it because it's on the piece of paper. When you, when you say you're active contrition, like you have to mean it. And so create a game plan and then pray to God to give you the strength to do the things that are right, to do what's right and to, to make the changes because you're going to make mistakes. The harder you try, the more you'll fail. The harder you strive for holiness, the closer you get to God, the more clear it is that your, your failures are shining forth. Lastly, I want to close with this. The reason why I need you to be the man or woman in the arena. Understand the things that are happening in our world today. You know, this isn't going to be my political spiel. My political spiel is going to be next week, which I highly recommend you tune in for because it's going to be serious and it's going to be fire. Um, and it's not just like a political spiel of who you should vote for, but it's just going to be my basically my testimony of politics, of getting involved in politics and and, and finding it interesting and, and just kind of learning about it and kind of where I've come from, where I am now. And how, you know, the idea of excellence has affected me in that. But the stats, why well, I need you to be a man or woman in the arena. 25,000 people die every day from hunger. You know, we talk about 200,000 deaths in the, uh, of the, from the coronavirus, which are sad, no doubt about it. I'm not saying that that's minuscule or, or that, you know, uh, minor, or that, th that those lives don't matter. But that happens in eight days from hunger. Eight days. So we've lost since March 200,000 Americans to coronavirus or coronavirus related things, right? People who've died positive for coronavirus, whether coronavirus caused cause their death or not. 10,000 kids every day die from hunger. In the United States, over the last 47 years, there have been over 13 million abortions. There's been 750 abortions per day in the United States over the last 47 years. This is, even, this is also extremely, extremely crazy. 13% of every United States adult, if you see 100 people in America today, if you go out into the world and you come across 100 people, 13 of them, statistically speaking, are former Catholics. 13 out of the 100 people, that you, the next 100 people you come across are people who identify as former Catholics. 2%, so two of those 100 people typically are converts to the Catholic faith. And a majority of Catholics believe that Catholics should be allowed to use birth control. A majority of Catholics believe that there should be allowed to be married priests, that Catholics should allow cohabitation before marriage, and that people should be able to receive communion. 50%, over, almost half of Catholics believe, almost half of Catholics believe that gay marriage should be acknowledged and identified and accepted by the Catholic Church. So think about that. 
of all U.S. adults are former Catholics. I'm reading it right now, pewresearch.org. This is not something that should be taken lightly. And I don't say this to end on a pessimistic note. I say this because the reason why I emphasize, the reason why we at Seeking Excellence emphasize that you ought to be a soldier of Christ, it's not just, we don't say never surrender, you know, we don't say follow God, lead others and never surrender for fun or to be cute. It's not because I think it's funny or that I think it's nice or that I think it's, oh, it's cool because I was in the army and I talk about never surrendering. No, it's because people are quitting. People are dying all around us. And one of the issues that we face today is that we forget that we're deployed. When you are in combat, in a combat zone, and you're getting shot at every day. It's obvious that you don't get to just take a day off. It's obvious that you, if you, if you, if you're getting mortar attacked, if you're getting attacked and you've only slept for an hour, you get up and you fight back. But what do we do if we, if it's the end of the day and we have to wake up in nine hours and we didn't pray or we didn't read or we didn't work out that day? Oh, well, I'll just do it tomorrow because we forget that we're deployed. We forget that we're in a combat zone, that we're in spiritual warfare, that we're in societal warfare, warfare that we're in ideological warfare right now. And you have to eliminate the bystander effect from your life. Stop thinking somebody else will do it. Stop thinking that somebody else will stand up and rise up and be the man or woman that you were created to be. Because the weight, the harvest, the work to do is out there. The arena, it's going down. And are you going to choose to be a man or woman that's in the arena? Are you going to be in the fight? That's what you have to decide. And in order to do that, you have to seek excellence through your failure. You have to be willing to fail. You have to have the right mindset, the endurance, the grit that it takes to get up every time that you fall. You don't have an option. We don't have a choice. I need you to do this. This is not for the weak or faint hearted. If you think that it is, I, I encourage you, highly encourage you to go look at the crucifix and understand that you. if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling down, we still want you to come. I'm not saying don't come. I'm not saying don't try. If you're feeling weak or you're feeling cowardly or scared or whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't come and don't try, but you need to beg God as we all do for the grace, the courage, the strength to turn this thing around, to turn your life around, to be transformed so that you can be a light in the world, so that you can be an ambassador for Christ because we do not have an abundance of those right now. And we need, we need people to step up, to rise up and to fight for what is right. So God bless you. I pray that you'll join us in this fight. I pray that you'll pray. I hope that you'll pray for me and for the whole team Seeking Excellence and all the people who are, are striving to fight uh, the battle that's in front of them to pick up their cross every day. Let's be united in this. Continue to pray the rosary. Join us on our rosary challenge for the month of October and pray in the rosary every day. It's the greatest weapon that we have um, spiritually. But take extreme ownership for the seven pillars of your life, for your failures, for your setbacks, and be the person you were created to be. Be Enter the arena, fight hard, never surrender. To find out more about Seeking Excellence, go to thosewhoseek.org, sign for our newsletter, check out our blogs, check out our former podcast, leave us a review, send this and share this with somebody. People need to hear this message. This is one that I really prepared for, I really prayed about, and I really care about. So I hope that you'll share this, hope that you'll promote this to other people if this is impactful and helpful for you. God bless, be your best, and never ever quit.